David. All right, what'd you Ryan. think of that, man? <laughs> um, <laughs> is L2 here? Is Layer 2 here? So I, I got my Loopring wallet up and running last week and I made just a, some quick ETH to USDT transfers. It's actually the first and only time I've owned USDT is on Loopring. It was a breeze, dude. It was, it was fantastic. It's exactly the uh, experience that I would enjoy. And like, I actually kind of feel good about paying these like penny fees on Loopring because it's not free. It's not free. There are fees. But uh, coming out of that conversation that we had and the rant that we did about Robinhood and then the conversations that we had with the Winklevoss, um, the fee, the, the free model of Robinhood is actually toxic. And so yeah. the, the pennies that you pay on the Loopring L2, along with the instant transactions, which are, of course, just an absolute treat, it makes me feel good. It's like, yes, I'm, I should be paying pennies for this. That feels like the right price. Um, and so Loopring or Loopring, the L2 is absolutely here. Uh, and I think when the Immutable X platform launches with NFTs, I'll finally dive back into my Gosselin chain cards and start playing some games there. Yeah. Synthetics is the only one I haven't really tried. And of course, uh, Immutable X because it hasn't launched yet, but, um, Loopring does seem fantastic. And David, it just seems like the missing piece here is getting some fiat on ramps directly into Loopring. Matt had an interesting comment. He, he said that maybe some of the exchange just might see it as competitive, but I don't think they will. You know, like mm-hmm. I think that the exchanges have their secret sauce, which is, you know, they are a bridge between the legacy financial world and this new financial system, right? And like they've got that locked. You know, they've mm-hmm. have you know, all the regulatory boxes checked. They've got a foot in the old world and a foot in the new world. They're just gonna go where the economic activity is. And if that economic activity lives in Ethereum layer twos, whether it's loop ring or whether it's, you know, an optimistic roll up, that's where they're going to drop users off. Ultimately it's going to be up to uh, their users demand, their customers demand. So um, like we have to demand and advocate for getting exchanges to support layer two directly. Once we have that, David, this space is going to absolutely like blow up in terms of use. I was amazed that Loopring already has 250 million right. total locked value. And that's without a fiat on ramp. That's how hungry people are for cheap layer two solutions right now. Yeah. And, and I think the, uh, you know, the fiat on ramp into L2, it's, it's destined to happen. And I think, I think I can confidently say that because there's a little bit of a Moloch trap going on, right? Where it's in the best interest of exchanges, centralized exchanges to not support Loopring because it is their native competitor, right? So why would they want to benefit Loopring because it's their loss? But if every single centralized exchange is operating under that paradigm, then it only takes one centralized exchange to defect and be that one centralized exchange that charges that $15 fee to get your, your fiat deposit deposited into Loopring. It only takes one, right? Um, and so, and, and and I don't even think that's why that's happening. I don't think centralized exchanges are like, no, Loopring, Loopring is going <laughs> to eat, eat my I don't lunch. think they They're, assume I'm, as a threat. I, no. I, don't, I don't think they, they think that way. I think it's just simply a matter of there's just not enough demand there. And that's why I've been trying to like on Twitter and on the podcast be like, Loopring, Loopling, Loopring, Loopring, because it is our version of both Venmo and Robinhood that is the providing the user experience that people like. Um, and so is, and the, the other real, the, the thing that they still have to fight for, the thing that they still haven't solved, which is not really something that is solvable by them is liquidity. Um, yeah. loopering liquidity is really strong for ETH USDT. It's really strong for ETH, 
uh, DPI actually, uh, because I think the index co-op actually subsidizes with index rewards for mm. ETH DPI liquidity providers on Loopring. Um, but after that, I think the liquidity starts to, to really drop off. Um, so that's actually something that I've been positioning myself for. Um, as soon as, as soon as the market continues a little bit, I think I might be transferring some ETH and some, some of my DeFi tokens over to Loopring just to provide liquidity there. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a public good, but you it's also good, get, yeah. you also get paid for it as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, um, I mean, it's the best I'm, kind of public good is the one that pays me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely bullish on, on what those guys are saying. I mean, this time it does feel different. I'm, I, we made this comment during the podcast, but, uh, the children of 2017, I think felt like scalability was just around the corner and, it never turned out to be the case. Like state channels kind of evaporated into like not really being practical for the types of DeFi applications we, we, we needed. Plasma really never panned out in a way, but like this feels different this time. And I think you don't have to believe the panelists, uh, and the people we talk to. You don't even have to believe us. Just go out and start using the applications. Um, the thing about Loopring you could feel good about too is it's not fake DeFi. There's a lot of like David, like fake DeFi out there right now. Like, I mean, to be honest, man, Binance. Justin Sun learned this two years ago when at Consensus he branded himself and put himself everywhere with the tagline Dare to DeFi in 2018. <laughs> like people have been writing on a DeFi time. brand forever. Yeah. And now that it's popular, the more they're, they're obviously going to run on it. Like, um, uh, CZ from Binance, you know, d- talked about CD5. That, that's what the Binance chain is, uh, essentially. But I mean, 21 validators, uh, none of it's really open source, all controlled by Binance elected entities. Oh my God, dude. That's the same. That's the same banking cartel system we just came from. That's not why I'm going bankless. That's not why you're going bankless. It's not even an improvement to the existing system we have when insiders can kind of like front run you or reverse transactions or censor things. Um, I guess you don't have to worry about hacks in those scenarios because, you know, somebody could just reverse the transaction. But the thing about these layer two solutions, particularly like the ones that are secured by Ethereum is they are bankless. So when you're using Loopring, you know you are using a, a trustless system that is secured by Ethereum. And man, that feels good too, right? Yeah. And I think one thing that all of these, uh, all these implementers, these DeFi implementers, uh, they, I, we need to get, we need to sponsor some like NFT where somebody like draws like the DeFi implementers, like in some <laughs> sort of event. Anyways. Um, uh, the one thing that they all seem to understand pretty well and, and all talk about is that it's, it's L2, real L2s are an extension of Ethereum native security. But I think they all started to hint at this as well is when you, when you have that box checked and you are an extension of Ethereum native security, you are also an extent, a native extension of the Ethereum community, right? When you don't sacrifice values, you don't sacrifice the community. And there's, there's that extension of values is really, really important. It's not just about the security. It's that what comes with the security. It's the whole package. It's everything. And that's what CD5 or side chains, that's what they don't bring along. And that's what they don't understand. Did, did you hear, David, the passion in which, uh, in particular, all of them, but in particular, Robbie addressed this with Robbie from Immutable X, right? So, I mean, he, he was just like, look, uh, 
competing projects, competing Ethereum killer projects have literally bribed us to leave Ethereum and come to their chain. Like literally, we will give you millions of dollars to go do this, right? Um, but his point was like, it's not worth it for us. These projects don't have a soul. They don't it's have a, a long-term future. It's a deal with the devil. We are thinking about building Immutable X for the for the long term, right? Mm-hmm. And so we're not going to take these shortcuts, right? It's like $250 million war chest can't buy your project a soul is the bottom line here. And so we saw some of that uh loyalty come through. And so, mm-hmm. some people might think, oh my God, like these are just loyalty talker, right? right? Like what's loyalty? Fa- but- people talking about faith. Who are these look, people? Man, look, man, it's not so uh be, if you're maximalist, be maximalist to a set of ideals, right? To a set of values. Like, I, I would consider myself not an Ethereum maximalist, but like a decentralization maximalist, a bankless maximalist. Like I care deeply about these things because if we just recreate the system that we just left, we haven't, we haven't done anything in crypto. Like we haven't given anything back to the world. That's not why I'm here. And I don't think that's why any of these projects are here. So it wasn't so much that they're like loyal to Ethereum, but they are loyal to the set of values that are baked into uh, the Ethereum protocol and the Ethereum social contract. And I, I just saw that, uh, you know, come through. The other thing I saw was something that Justin kept going back to. And wait, um, wait, before, before, before you turn to yeah, Justin, go, go, pa- go. pause on that thought. Cause I want, I want to riff on that. Yeah, um, th- think about how meaningful it is when the C- CEO or I think, I think uh, president, co-president that Robbie is, uh, turns down, I think what he said was $250,000 or maybe even more, uh, when he turns that down. And he's not doing that because he has like this like political alignment to Ethereum. He's, he's making a rational choice. He's saying that the choice to stay on Ethereum is worth more than the bribe (laughs) from other chains. Right. And not, not only is Ethereum not bribing him, Ethereum is expensive for him. Like immutable has spent a ton of money on gas. And so like not only is Ethereum not bribing him, but they're actually costing him money. And he still thinks that the benefit of staying on Ethereum is worth it. Right. And, uh, when he said that I was reminded of our conversation with Vitalik on his uh, 2020 reflections podcast with us, where he said that there are some incentives that aren't money, right? There are incentives such as meaning and purpose and having a soul. Right. And that's what you find on Ethereum. Ethereum has culture. Ethereum has soul. And if you leave Ethereum for Binance chain or EOS or whatever, you're giving up the culture and the soul and the memes and the community. And that's the whole point of this whole revolution is all of those things. Yeah. It it goes back to Naval's statement, you know, play play long-term games with long-term people. And this is like, these projects are playing a long-term game with a long-term network. Right. Like they are, they're valuing that higher than any short-term profits or any sort of bribes, uh, competing chains might offer. Um, the other point I was going to get to about, about Justin is he kept referencing sort of, uh, the development style that we've seen so much in Ethereum and in the development of its protocol, but also the development of DeFi and layer twos, which is kind of this difference, um, between like the cathedral and the bazaar. So this guy wrote a book in uh, 1999 called The Cathedral and the Bazaar. And it was really comparing kind of the open source movement versus like the top down traditional software development uh, that, mm-hmm. that used to happen. Right. So that would be the cathedral. Like 
here are the specifications right, right? now the overlords will pass these specifications right. to you the developers and you will implement it per the requirements well the bazaar is not like that at all right. it's chaos it's an open market anyone can come it's permissionless but what ends up happening with like a linux versus windows is open source linux wins it wins mm-hmm. uh like from a game theoretic perspective and it wins because in the bazaar the like the best vendors kind of rise to the top and all of the experiments are tried. And this is really the Ethereum community's development ethos when it comes to anything. But when it comes to layer twos, like all of the things are are being tried. I go back to like Bitcoin. What how is Bitcoin going to scale aside from like side chains like mm-hmm. Binance and Coinbase and crypto banks, right? It's got that. But uh Lightning. Like one, we have one solution, right? right? It's it's like this cathedral based approach, like, mm-hmm. which is, which is so strange to me, but Ethereum, what, what's it doing? Well, it's trying like everything that's possible. Mm-hmm. And through that is going to converge on, on the best solution. So it's this bizarre, like experimentation that Justin kept coming back to that I think is so important in like the organic material of a developer ecosystem like this. Yeah, the the cathedral versus bizarre metaphor is the way I interpret that is order versus chaos. And, and you you said yeah. order when you called it the bizarre. And like the cathedral is the the hierarchy, the 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 rules, the the constructs, the structures that when they are good because they provide order to our lives. But as they grow older and older and older, they grow more and more rigid and calcified. They're and brittle, fragile. brittle, yeah, brittle and oppressive, right? Because when these gargantuan structures grow too large, you can't climb them anymore, right? You yeah. can't climb up the social ladder of social orders and social structures. And so therefore we turn to the bizarre, which is chaos, which is creative destruction, which is order out of just this cesspool of ideas where just atoms and atoms and atoms of ideas are colliding against each other and they create these new structures that are no longer oppressive that are no longer and it looks like it shouldn't work it looks like it shouldn't work from the outside you're like Mm -hmm. oh my god this is pure chaos how is any of this stuff there's no grand unified plan how Mm -hmm. is any of this stuff going to work out and Mm -hmm. it turns out to work out better because organically are tried yeah, organically. Right. All, all of the things are tried and only the good things stick. And that's what gets me so bullish about Ethereum is that it's, it's what, what we call chaotic organization. It's the organization through chaos. It's not top down organization. It's bottom up organization. And only the best things are chosen to survive via chaotic organization. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, okay. So when you sort of zoom out and look at layer two, um, it feels like it's here partially, but it also feels like it's not complete yet, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, I am waiting for a optimistic roll up for DeFi to come mm-hmm. to fruition, right? Like, it's good that synthetics is there and trying it, but just synthetics in its own optimistic roll up is not enough. I am really looking forward to seeing what's going to happen with, uh, Uniswap. They're kind of the next big mover that's right. sort of on my radar. And last I understood, they were going in a optimistic roll-up type direction in the same sort of direction that synthetics is. But I have that, like Uniswap has been a little quiet recently. I think they're keeping things under wrapped and they're just going to do a big reveal at some point. But that to me is the next major phase of this. Can we get multiple DeFi protocols on the same optimistic roll-up? And then after that, probably the next frontier 
is how can we get uh, integration and interoperability across the rollups themselves? How do we build those bridges? Which seems like it's a whole nother topic of conversation and research is going to come down later. But like, what, what were your takeaways? How close does this stuff feel to you? Yeah, it, it feels like everyone is kind of in this sort of like standoff where everyone, everyone's in a circle. You know, Uniswap is looking at compound. Compound is looking at synthetic. Synthetics is looking <laughs> at MakerDAO and they're like, which, what's, what are you going to do? Like what yeah. rollup are you going on to? Because if you go on to that one, that might change my decision making. Right. And so they, everyone's kind of waiting for everyone else to make moves. And like in that scenario, it's like when one person makes a move, everyone starts to make moves. Right. Yeah. And so like, I kind of think we're in this holding pattern for, we're, we're all kind of waiting for Uniswap. Like what's Uniswap going to do? Like, what the hell is this compound cash chain? What, what, what's that doing? What are we going to do there? Um, and I think we're all kind of like in this calm before just the mass, mass, just like exodus onto L2s, right. We all, where we all kind of figured it out. Uh, and you know, while, while I kind of illustrate that that's going to just happen at the flick of a switch, it's actually not going to be like that at all. It won't be like that. It'll, it'll still be confusing. It'll still be chaos. Um, it's still going to take some time for that really, for that dust to settle. Um, and in the meantime, it's actually, it's, it's going to be painful. Like there's still going to be gas fees. They're going to be gas fees for the next six months. We're going to hear about it on Twitter, on crypto Twitter. Um, but I think going along with the bankless narrative of like, you can venture out onto the frontier and gain access to new knowledge. Some people still think that L2 isn't here yet. You can the, the liquidity on ETH to tether on loop ring is insane. You can, if you are just trading ETH to tether or ETH dollars and you, you want to do that in a DeFi way, we already have that. That's on loop ring. And so some people have already figured that out. And if you keep on, and the, the way I've been illustrating this is that scale and L2 is happening at the margins and it's marching inwards, right? It's marching into the core of Ethereum where the rest of us are. And it really hasn't, that slow march inwards hasn't really met the average user yet. Because if you really want to find L2, you have to go outwards. You have to go to the frontier. You have to go to the margins. But the margins are expanding, right? Liquidity on loopering is expanding. Uh, synthetics is building out, is staking. It's expanding. These The real estate of L2 is expanding. It just hasn't reached the fold yet. It hasn't reached the core of Ethereum yet. Yeah, you, you mentioned two things there. One is this is going to be painful in the short run, right? And the second um, thing you, you mentioned, you, you talked about the like the term narrative, and I'm wondering your thoughts on this because I, you know, I recently tweeted out if you take like just two of the quote unquote ETH killers, alternative layer ones to Ethereum, um, Atom, so Cos the Cosmos Network, and um, Polkadot, those two projects alone are 35 billion in terms of market cap, right? And compare those to the only two projects that are, you know, there are more than two, but two two projects that are kind of large enough to, to surface on the top 100 coin market cap are um, Loopring and, and Matic, uh, now called Polygon. And those collectively are about like 1 billion, okay? Or like 1.5 billion. So I think, less, I think less than 1 billion. I thought, I think Loopring's 500 million and, and billion or 500 yeah, million. I was going less. full, I was going fully diluted value. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Like fair somewhere enough. around there. That is so, the smarter way to view things, by the way, for the <laughs> listeners. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, okay. So basically a 30 X, um, these ETH killers are kind of a 30 X. And so the, the question is, um, narrative because mm -hmm. we know that the market in the, in the short run, uh, short to medium run trades completely on narrative, not on fundamentals. Mm -hmm. 
fundamentals are almost like a a bear market thing, right? So right. like the best yeah. time to invest in fundamentals is like 2018, 2019. Right. Yeah. It's from there on out. <laughs> it's from, so we're beyond fundamentals, my friend. We're way past. It's just narrative. It's just narrative. We just care about narratives because it's a bull right. run. Now, mm-hmm. if you're a long-term thinker and you're not interested in like trading on narratives, which you have to do if you're playing the narrative game, then you can do things like we talked about, invest in ETH, invest in Bitcoin, invest in the DPI right. and have a good night's sleep, right? But uh, anyway, the market's going to get t- completely insane with, with narratives, especially as ETH gas fees, you said short-term pain, they're going to be f- painful for a while. Like this isn't a, the migration to layer two isn't going to be like, we snap our fingers and suddenly I keep getting these, these tweets and people saying like, when are the gas fees going down? Right. And mm-hmm. I'm like, they're never going to go down on They're never one. going down. They're never, they're never, going down. they're never going down. So in this, world where it's painful in the short run, layer two is getting built out, gas fees aren't going uh, down. It feels to me like these alternative layer ones have maybe not a lot of fundamental runway, but they have a lot of narrative yeah, runway. Lots of narrative, yep. And mm-hmm. that's why they are like pumping to the level mm-hmm. they are. And that might continue, David, if this continues to be painful in in the short run. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's an unfortunate reality. And like at the end of the day, the, the this is just kind of I feel like this is just economics, right? Like there's so much demand for Ethereum and it has not yet built out its own L2 ecosystem to capture its own demand. Therefore, the demand is overflowing. And so for a short while, perhaps there will be demand of Polkadot, right? Perhaps there will be demand of Binance Smart Chain. Uh, there's this thing on Binance Smart Chain that's like a Uniswap fork that is called pancake swap or something like whatever a weird name, but so is Uniswap, I guess. Um, and they actually, <laughs> yeah, it it's actually doing pretty comparable uh, volume. I think like, I think it's doing like roughly one sixth the volume of Uniswap, which is pretty good because Uniswap is doing insane volume. So like there's this app, like Uniswap like application on Binance smart chain that's doing one sixth of volume. So like there is overflow and there is now volume there and likely because of Ethereum gas fees. And so the fundamentals of Binance Smart Chain are improving. But at the end of the day, it's because it's overflow from Ethereum. Like, congratulations, PancakeSwap. You have Uniswap sloppy, sloppy seconds. Like, all the value that Uniswap wasn't able to capture because it hasn't built out its own L2, which is working on, is making its way to, you know, centralized exchanges, right? That makes sense. As soon as Ethereum offers the the wells and the new real estate to capture its own value, it's staying on Ethereum. Because like we've been saying, there's soul on Ethereum, there's community on Ethereum, there's purpose on Ethereum, and you don't find that on Binance Smart Chain. So people are going to prioritize native Ethereum over Binance Smart Chain. You know what else is on Ethereum, David, is economic bandwidth, particularly Mm. trustless economic bandwidth. And I could tell that Robbie is a bankless consumer because he brought that very (laughs) term up, which Mm -hmm. was awesome. That's something you can't get on the Binance chain. You can't get a... A uh, completely crypto economically settled store of value asset like ETH on the Binance chain. There's all sorts of trusted parties, whether it's, you know, the 21 validators that Binance elects involved or, and there's, there's no actual like crypto native store of value on the Binance chain. So all the transactions that you were talking about and all the volume, none of that is trustless economic value. It's things like USDT and stable coins that also have tethers and settlement in, in the real world too. So mm-hmm. I, I do think uh, the way Robbie was talking about it and seeing that there are, it's 
scalability is more than just transactions per second, right? It's like market cap of the, the, the base layer asset. It is, um, the community, the ecosystem of, uh, applications like the social contract. All of these things are part of the scalability story of, uh, of a chain and, uh, need to be looked at too. Um, anything else? Any other takeaways from that app? Yeah, there, there's one one remaining part that that was my a big takeaway, and we we saw this metaphor come out. I think from Ashley Shap, I think is the tweeter behind this, but it was like a in the early days of the cell phone, it was like 12 inches long and cost like $4,000, right? This is just how technology works. It's really, really expensive and it's shitty, but you don't really have any comparative because it's the first time that technology has ever came around. And that's where we are with Ethereum, right? It's really expensive. It's still pretty slow. We still don't have Ethereum 2.0, but that's just how technology works. And um, when Robbie was talking about NFTs, I was thinking about like, the NFT hype, the NFT mania that's going on right now is, is awesome, but it's actually not the NFTs that Immutable X, the, the uh, L2 for Gauss Unchained and Immutable is really building because Immutable X is building NFTs that are small in value. Yet the NFTs that are being, uh, all the, making all the hype and all the splash today are thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars which makes sense because you have to pay the gas fees, right? Like why are people aren't trading these like 25 cent, you know, $2 Gaza and chain cards because it doesn't make any sense. They are, they are doing the, you know, $10,000 plus NFTs, the Beeple NFTs, the NBA top shot NFTs that are worth, you know, Beeple made like some, some like $0.7 million, like, those are the NFTs that are hot right now. And the reason why they're hot is because those are the only feasible NFTs. And so there's going to be, when, when Immutable X uh, opens up and there's going to be like, there's going to be room for, you know, microtransactions. Like one of the great promises of this cryptocurrency industry is microtransactions. When's the last time you've heard the phrase microtransactions? Like it's been a while. I and remember when I think, Bitcoiners used to talk about uh, right. streaming money in microtransactions before that came like totally unfeasible in the Bitcoin network. And it just right. turned into store value, store value, store value. Mm-hmm. And one part that we didn't get in the uh, value accretive versus value competitive model uh, conversation was that like, Say, say there's all this economic activity with like small units on immutable X, like tons of small units, like uh, tons of volume because they're all, they're like cards are flying all over, all over the place. And then we can also say the same thing with like the, the loop ring L2 and the synthetics L2. And there's all this economic activity going on on the L2s that's not going on on Ethereum. Well, the L2 is like this reservoir. And we talked about this conversation with Nick Carter when we talked about um, the, the block space fee cycle where on the L1, the fees go up and that halts economic activity. Yeah. And, and then, and then the, the gas fees go down and people start to transact again. The reason why it halted was that because there was no alternative place to escape to. And so these L2s are actually like these batteries of economic activity. And that's, I think, a really strong argument for why all these L2s are going to be value accretive to Ether, the asset, is because when people are pushed off of the main Ethereum L1 because of high gas fees, they're going to go on to L2 because they have that option. And they're going to have this immense amount of economic activity, and it's only going to increase on the L2. Yet when the transaction fees on the L1 lower back down, it becomes more feasible for people to come back 
back to the L1 and increase the economic activity back on the L1. So there's always this reservoir. Every single L2 is a reservoir of energy, a reservoir of economic activity for the L1 to tap into if it ever needs to, if the, if the demand for L1 ever goes down, because the demand for L1 going down is bad because that's a security for Ethereum. So all these L2s are like security batteries. They're like these security res- reservoirs for economic activity on Ethereum. I think that's just awesome, so awesome. So yeah, awesome. that's a good point. And that, that's again, the reason that, uh, gas fees on Ethereum are never going down. Right. It's because never going like, down. they'll, they'll move. Uh, mm-hmm. so some of the smaller transactions that you said, they'll move to, to layer two, but, uh, anytime gas fees start to go low in Manhattan, it's like price of real estate, price of real estate in Manhattan, right. like never drops because people snap it up. They'll move from Brooklyn, Brooklyn back to Manhattan. Um, so yeah, I agree. I, th- I think that's kind of how it's working out, but, and also to your point that layer two unleashes a whole new set of use cases that were never going to be possible on layer mm-hmm. one. Right. Microtransactions are not happening on layer one. And they're not feasible. They're not possible. It's just, Mm -hmm. yeah, exactly. It's never going to happen. And, um, that was interesting to, to hear Matt say, we were never going to deploy Loopring on layer one because the type of app we needed was never conducive to the transaction Mm -hmm. throughput of layer one. So we started immediately with, with layer two. Like you can build different types of applications in in layer two and i think that's definitely going to be a source of demand and innovation like mm-hmm. there'll probably be a whole new cycle of cool interesting things that happen on layer two that could never happen on on layer one we're gonna go through those innovation waves as well yep wrap it up there call good let's wrap it up man it's been the debrief we're gonna do more on layer two right Absolutely. And more on layer two and more on NFTs. I'm pretty sure that's all that we have in the podcast content. <laughs> there's, a, <laughs> there's a lot to learn here. So I'm glad we're doing this, David. All right, man. Thanks. That was a debrief. Thanks everyone for listening. Bye.